Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful with my sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football. like football season. All this. <laughs> No Thursday Night Football this week. I don't know what we even do here on a Friday morning when there's no Thursday Night Football to talk about. But Bradley Spielberger, my man, is going to help us navigate this this treacherous and and difficult time together. Uh, We'll find some things to talk about. And, of course, we have the boo-boo breakdown coming with our guy Vic later in the show to get some clarity on recent injuries and injuries that are relevant to this final week of the season. How's it going, Brad? Are Are you as lost and directionless as I am on this Friday morning? The first uh, Thursday without a game in, what, I guess 17 weeks here. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old trapped in a 29-year-old's body, so I went to bed early. I feel <laughs> rested. I feel vivacious this morning because, you know, God forbid I stay up till 1130 to watch a Thursday night football game. I, I genuinely thought about throwing on basketball last night just to get the clip of Al Michaels, like, you know, defeated, head down on the table, almost sleeping during the broadcast to be able to, like, tweet out, you know, Al Michaels today with no Thursday night football, that kind of thing. I imagine Al's as lost as the rest of us, you know. We lamented bad Thursday night games for weeks, and now here we are with no Thursday game being like, man, I would kill for Carolina against Arizona, you know, muddle through this ugly football. But no, we got nothing. So instead, we're going to talk about the Russell Wilson contract situation um, that we didn't get to last week that we were supposed to. Uh, what else are we going to talk about? Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl snubs um, happened, and we're, we're going to run through some of those, and then we will get to the boo-boo breakdown. Uh, but first, we've got to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Um, Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. 
Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Brad, let's get into the Russell Wilson situation. Um, first off, let's start with the highest level of, is it the right call to just cut bait and say the Russ thing isn't going to work, we're going in a different direction? Because whatever the performance has been this year, it's been wildly better than it was a year ago. And I think generally moving in the right direction, I don't know that you would look at this version of Russell Wilson and say, there's no way I can make this work. This is a complete train wreck. I got to get rid of this guy, knowing that it's going to be extremely painful from a, you know, a salary cap standpoint, and we have to go in a different direction. I mean, I know there's all kinds of crazy box score comparisons out there with like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and all this kind of stuff, but just high level, immediate take is this even the right call yeah it's a no-brainer uh i know it sounds maybe uh, a bit surprising you and i talked about this in october and i actually wrote an article about it for the website on october 17th that the broncos needed to move on from russell wilson this offseason and that frankly we should be expecting them to bench him at some point during the season i even mentioned the kind of Derek carr Jarrett stidham yeah. you know if Jarrett stidham gets signed to your roster as a starter you should Run. be looking over that shoulder of yours so at a high level, it's actually very simple here because, yes, it is the biggest dead cap hit total in NFL history. It'll be $85 million in dead cap for the Broncos. The record right now is about $40 million for Matt Ryan. So we're more than doubling that overall. Next year, it'll be $35.4 million. It'll actually be net neutral on the Broncos' 2024 salary cap. But the reason why it has to be done, A, like you said, yes, it did look better. He's also 35 years old, though, and some of the better was still the out-of-structure, dancing around, throwing up prayer, jump balls to Cortland Sutton in the corner of the end zone. That is not a repeatable thing when you're 25, much less 35. And then, secondly, if they waited beyond the date that everyone's talking about now, a couple days into the 2024 league year in March, they'd kick in a $37 million fully guaranteed salary for 2026, uh, or excuse me, 2025, um, when Russ would be 37 years old. Um, and, and so the dead cap would actually be larger. It'd be $86 million if they waited a year, let him play in 2024, and then did the same thing. It'd be more of a financial penalty. So it looks horrible. I get it. It might cause people to lose their jobs, and, and that's unfortunate, whatever, yada, yada. It has to be done. What is your take on the way that, because this apparently started brewing right about when you were talking about, right? Like October. And they came to Russ and they said, hey, look, if you don't drop this or if you don't push back the date that this extra injury money kicks in, we're going to bench you because we don't want to risk, uh, we don't want to risk that money. We've already decided effectively in October, you're done here. You're not going to you know, be the quarterback beyond this. We're going to move in a different direction. In order to do that, we need to be safe for that money. So they, they effectively tried to strong arm him into moving, moving away from that clause in his contract with the threat of benching him if it didn't happen. Evidently, Russ got the NFLPA involved. The whole thing dragged on until eventually, you know, last week, effectively, they, they sat him down. Um, what is your read on, because I, I read a thing about uh, from Andrew Brandt, you know, who is a, a former Packers executive, writes a lot about the sort of business side of the NFL. And he was basically like, look, you know, we know the NFL is a business. I had to talk to players all the time with uncomfortable requests and essentially threaten them to, hey, take a pay cut or we'll cut you. And I had to be willing to do that. That's part of the business. What's your read on how, you know, dirty or otherwise that was as a request? Because it is interesting to me that the NFLPA got involved. So it's not like it's just, you know, standard routine, take a pay cut or we cut you. 
clearly something here was at least at least skirting the line, if not directly over it. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it is just a reality of the NFL. I mean, there's a bunch of different examples I could point to here. Even something that kind of grinds my gears every single offseason is there's something called the proven performance escalator where a rookie contract player can earn an elevated salary in the fourth year of their deal. Teams, probably three, four times a year, they'll go to that player and say, if you don't reduce it back to the original number, and these are things the players earn by playing a lot of snaps and being a contributor on the team on their rookie deal, they say, if you don't reduce it back to the original number, we're just going to cut you. So it's like that is not protected. And it goes to a larger conversation of NFL contracts, unless it is fully guaranteed, not injury guaranteed with a kick in later or any other mechanism, the team can can work around that. And like, like Andrew Brandt said, it's a business. They can go with these uncomfortable requests. So – Look, I'm not going to say it's commonplace that things like this happen, but it's not the first time this has happened. And I think that the thing here is to threaten to say like, hey, we're going to bench you immediately if you if you don't move this trigger date for a future guarantee because we don't want you to get hurt and then lock us into that $37 million I mentioned – you know, you probably don't see it that often where it's a legit threat kind of holding it over and saying you're going to stop playing tomorrow unless you do this. But that's the obvious – like they don't need to say that. That's the obvious outcome. If this doesn't happen, we are not comfortable taking the risk of if you tear your ACL and can't pass a physical on March 20th of 2024 – we're going to have to bench you. So whether it was explicitly said or not, it's obvious what the implication is. I don't know. Look, I'm pro player. I don't like to see it. It's, it sucks. Like the guy signs a contract. He's supposed to get this money. It happens all the time. Unfortunately, it's why there needs, needs to be more and more of a push for guarantees in later years. And also not just vested guarantees, but fully guaranteed dollars in later years of contracts. Otherwise, the door is open for moves like this to happen. Do you one of the takeaways from Brandt's article was that he thinks the Broncos look kind of toothless in this because they obviously threatened that, hey, drop the thing, otherwise we bench you. And then two months went by before they actually did it. Now, was that simply because it, the NFLPA got involved and it became a legal wrangle? Or did they actually like bluff, get called on it and then not have the guts to pull the trigger until two weeks before the end of the season? Interesting because, like, unfortunately, the gray area of you could just say, hey, we're, we don't like what we see. We need a spark. Kind of like the, right. the messaging you got after the fact. Like, you can always say that, and who can deny it? And, and the funny part is when they went to him, I know some stats look good, but I, I, I thought he wasn't good the first six weeks of the season. I thought he was good against, like, Buffalo, Kansas City. Like, some of those games where you saw some of those highlight plays from him, limiting the negatives. I do think a lot of it was Sean Payton just kind of – neutering is probably a bit of a strong word but i mean <laughs> they didn't let him do anything for like half the half the time they were playing yeah. so it was kind of funny how the timing went out but they can bench him whenever they want and like say the, yeah we, we don't see what we like it. we want to go a different direction you know whatever the case may be it was interesting how they waited was that giving themselves plausible deniability waiting for a bad game things of that nature i, I don't really think so but yeah whenever the union gets involved it probably does you know spark some larger issue but Anyway, maybe, you know, so fully guaranteed, by the way, means guaranteed for skill, injury, and cap. And 
Injury guaranteed usually just means for injury. Maybe there's a mechanism here if it was, you know, skill and injury and, and not cap. Like you can, it's not really common, but you can do different things like that. Um, skill obviously means like we just don't think you're good enough for what we're paying you. Um, and that is obviously the bucket we're falling into here. Cap is we can't afford it. We don't think it's worth paying you because of, you know, our cap implications, whatever. Long answer short, though. You, you, you as a team have the directive to just say we don't like what we're seeing. We want to go a different direction, like you know. And I think it's 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 that that was arguable with Russell Wilson pretty much the entirety of the year. And I think the earlier they make that call, I mean, if they did it like the earlier this season they make the call, the easier it is to defend. It actually get got harder the longer they waited. I, I don't quite understand what was happening there if it wasn't simply waiting for the NFLPA and whatever negotiations were taking place behind the scene to resolve themselves because, you know, the, the start to the season, at least record-wise, was horrendous. They had a much easier argument to make then than, like, when they did it. So that the timing is certainly very weird. Um, now let's sort of the, – the two other areas I want to talk about. Number one, the state that it leaves Denver in and what their options are because that's the fascinating other side of this. Like, when the Raiders moved on from Derek Carr – Again, it made a lot of sense. Okay, I get entirely why you would say, I've had enough of the Derek Carr train. We're jumping off. We're going in a different direction. The problem was the direction they then went. Like, they, they jumped off the train and didn't find another one. So Denver is now sitting here. Okay, they have a first-round pick. They are currently picking 14 overall, um, and they're locked in a battle with four, four or five teams at that spot. That could go in either direction with this final week of the season. But they have one first-round pick. They don't have a second. They then have a third, a fourth, a couple of fifths, and a seventh. So are they immediately drafting a rookie quarterback? How screwed is their salary cap with the Russell Wilson thing? Do they have any hope of pivoting to a different veteran of any description? Or is this, it's a rookie, come what may? Yeah, so that is the interesting thing you mentioned, the timing. Like They were actually in the playoff race and legitimately could have been a wild card in the AFC when the thing went down. Um, and, and so this thing is, the, the Raiders ended up getting pick seven last year, and I know it's kind of been reported now. I mean, I can tell you firsthand, like the, the Raiders were trying to get to number one, right. um, maybe try to get to number two. They were trying to get a rookie quarterback. So Sean Payton comes from a New Orleans Saints team that if he asked to do something, trade up 20 picks in the first round or – restructure every single contract on the roster so they could add more talent. They did it. And I'm fairly confident when he was talking to the, the Waltons and going to Denver, he expects the exact same thing. So I do think that, hey, maybe they lose this week and let's say they're picking 12th. Um, hey, I like Jaden Daniels a lot. I've spent a lot of time in Louisiana. Let's go trade up to six and get him, you know, whatever you have to do there. I think that is a potential option or, you know, are you a Michael Penix fan? Are you whatever? Um, and then, yes, they actually can if they want to go the Kirk Cousins route or, or maybe, you know, explore a trade. There isn't really kind of that Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford option this year. At least it seems right now. But anyway, they actually have a lot of cap flexibility. They can, you know, trade some players, restructure some contracts, outright cut some players. I actually ran through the scenario yesterday, so I'll quickly pull this up for us. But they can create, you know, get get to about $60 million in cap space um, by making, I don't think, any move that would be controversial or crazy. So restructure Zach Allen, who's been great this year, Mike McGlinchey, Ben Powers. Those three restructures, you're already saving about $27 million. Uh, you can extend a Garrett Bowles, maybe a Cortland Sutton. You clear $20 million there. Um, and then, you know, maybe you trade a Jerry Judy, $13 million. Maybe you trade a Justin Simmons. That's about $14.5 million. And then, you know, cut Tim Patrick, the wide receiver. It's $10 million right there. So those moves I mentioned, I don't think any of those are crazy. Yeah, I just I just cleared $70 million in gap space. And that 
So if they if they did that to find a veteran this year, does that come back to haunt them in the following year, or are they still okay? Not really. I mean, twenty twenty five is going to be tough for sure. That 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 year, Russ will have a fifty million dollar dead cap hit. So right. still the record, uh, you know, above Matt Ryan in a single year after already eating thirty five the year before. But again, that's just kind of the nature of you know the salary cap and in the way Sean Payton certainly views it based on the last decade of his career in the NFL. Is it, does, does it help? No. Does it, are you, <laughs> does it hamper your ability to do some things? Yeah, maybe. But will the 2025 Denver Broncos still have a healthier salary cap than the New Orleans Saints of the last decade? Yes. <laughs> All right, that's that's a pretty big revelation. I mean, I just assumed without looking into it because you know you were coming on the show you do that for me so without even looking at it i'm like okay they're screwed (laughs) they have no no kind of cap flexibility they have to get a rookie and that like last year with the raiders i think shows you how dangerous that is right because like you said they wanted a rookie they wanted to trade up to go get a guy and from number seven weren't able to or yeah seven weren't able to make that happen right the raider or the, the the broncos are currently scheduled to pick 14 And, okay, it's a different quarterback class, you know, different dynamic. But, like, there's absolutely no guarantee you can get the guy that you want to get or get one of the guys you want to get from that position, even if you're willing to be aggressive and, you know, go trade up and whatever. You need to make the move happen. And if you don't, that's how you end up in that Raiders situation where you're like, you know, plan E or whatever is Jimmy Garoppolo and you just look ridiculous. So it's dangerous trying to play that game. So the fact that they have the flexibility – to potentially go in a veteran direction instead, I think is huge for them. Um, one more thing to point out or to, to clarify before we get on to the second thing. I'm assuming there's zero chance anybody trades for Russell Wilson, correct? That's the interesting thing here, too. And it ties into the salary cap and all of that. And, and Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap was the first person to kind of flesh this out a little bit. And it makes a lot of sense. Is And I would guess that now this is not an option. But maybe they circle back and, and cooler heads prevail if you go to Russell Wilson and say, look, we can just outright post June 1st cut you. You're going to have these massive offsets in your guarantees that another team is probably not going to say, look, we'll sign you for a near minimum contract because we're not going to beat out the 37 or, you know, I think next year he's owed about $40 million. Like we're not going to beat that. Right. So, so why would we not just sign you for a minimum? You come in here, we can build around you. We will spend the extra money around you or, for optics, for you know, for, for pride, whatever, they say, Russ, restructure this to a two-year, $50 million contract, a Kirk Cousins-esque contract, and maybe someone will send us a sixth-round pick. They bring you in on that deal. You're happy. We're happier. Like they're, they're, you know, any, Anyway, that was an option, I think, previously. Now that we've had you know, the NFLPA involved in a, in a battle in the court of public opinion, you know, the, the insider battle and all that, it's probably not an option anymore. In theory, it could have been, but yeah, probably not. So then we end up in a situation where Russ is cut. Now, who is interested in Russell Wilson? Because on the one hand, it, it the numbers say it was actually pretty good this year. On the other hand, most people watching tape are like, yeah, this is better, but it's still far from ideal. And Russ, he's not going back to the player he used to be. What you're going to get is a guy that can be functional in a very specific offense with very strict limitations on what it asks him to do, requires him to do. And it's still all of the success is going to come like outside of the structure and the design. It's a very weird sort of thing to be hitching your wagon to as a quarterback. You need to be, I don't want to say desperate, but you need to be in a, in a rough quarterback situation, I think, to be interested in that. 
And I think one team to me jumps out to the top of the list, uh, not even a rough quarterback situation, but also the structure of their offense, at least the first half of the season, didn't even exist. And that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, say, hey, look, you got George Pickens, Deontay Johnson. We'll bring in whatever play caller you like to work with, you know, one of your buddies from from Seattle or, or Denver, whatever. Um, and we'll just build build this train around you. Kenny's going to be here, but you guys have a quarterback battle, but we'll just let you win that battle, you know, whatever the result may actually be. Um, and we, it can be our version of Aaron Rodgers passing the torch back off to Zach Wilson. That's the one that makes a ton of sense to me. I've seen like Atlanta. I think Arthur Smith, it wouldn't work. Like he wants this kind of rhythm and timing, quick outs offense that, right. that Sean Payton wants. So anyway, Pittsburgh, you know, jumps to the top of my list if I had to think of a, a potential realistic landing spot. Um, how do you think that would, dynamic would work with Mike Tomlin as the overall guy in charge there? Obviously, you know, somebody else is going to be running the offense. But like, I, I don't. I'm not quite sure how that sinks in my brain of like Mike Tomlin handling the Russell Wilson type of dynamic that you just described. Yeah. I mean, from like a locker room and all that standpoint, I think it would work. Um, you know, I think, well, first I think Russ has been humbled and anything's going to be better than what he just dealt with with Sean Payton. Um, but also Tomlin is a player friendly coach, players first coach. Let's guys be themselves. I think you would love Russ from a standpoint of like being a leader of the team, you know, first guy in, last guy out, all the, you know, the two legendary Hall of Fame cliche people uh, and Mike Tomlin and Russell Wilson. Offense wise, I, I mean, again, not to be like, you know, <laughs> disrespectful. Uh, he let Matt Canada coach the offense for three years. So I think he's pretty flexible and pretty open minded to what he's willing to watch on offense. <laughs> Um, okay, so you poo-pooed the idea of Atlanta. Uh, other teams that I think I've seen talked about the New England Patriots simply because of how desperate they are, particularly if they don't get the number two overall pick. Like if they don't have their chance of Drake May, Caleb Williams, they've got to go for QB three or you know abandon the idea. Would the Patriots be interested in him? Um, Minnesota are potentially moving past Kirk Cousins this year. Who knows? He might come back. Uh, other teams, Washington, have no viable quarterback right now Jacoby Brissett Sam Howell neither that is either it hasn't worked this year or it's not the plan going forward uh anybody else that jumps out as a potential option yeah and I think Russ is you know it matters here I believe it's been reported that he denied a trade to Washington in the first place so like is he willing to go there it's probably a variable uh, I mean I guess if I was really grasping at straws like maybe Daniel Jones's knee is in a certain spot. Like I do think that the flexibility contractually with Russ makes it very interesting. If that's not a, that's not an element like Las Vegas, let's say they move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, which we probably should expect. Um, and then they, they can't get in, in range for a quarterback and they're not confident. Aiden O'Connell is going to take that step. Maybe they get in the mix. It's a flashy name. Mark Davis likes the, you know, all that. I guess I'll throw that in there, but yeah, yeah. it's not the shortest list in the world, uh, but it's not the longest list either. Um, yeah, Vegas would be an interesting team. Ironically, they're almost in the same situation now as they were a year ago, <laughs> having failed last time to find the quarterback. So they're actually, I mean, Aiden O'Connell, I guess, is flash, but I, I doubt very much whether they could be comfortable going with Aiden O'Connell as plan A going into next year. It, how much, I mean, if just because, like, I think a guy like Sam Howell this year probably hurts Aiden O'Connell's chances of being given the same opportunity next year, right? Like, Washington just tried this. It crapped out. We're not going to give it a go. We're going to go in a different direction. If he develops on the sideline, cool, but we're not going to go with him as plan A. Because, you know, I think Washington, I'm not going to throw the T word around, but they kind of did just quietly tank and no one noticed because they're the commanders. We expect them to lose <laughs> 15 games a year. But 
Um, the Raiders don't want to do that. They have a veteran roster. They have a good, uh, frankly, like it, it honestly shows they do have a lot of talent that they're yeah. a 500 football team with all the turmoil and insanity off the field. And then look, O'Connell's been fine, but obviously he's not elevating this team right now. So yeah, I don't think they'd be interested in doing that because the Howell experiment was either he proves he's the guy or we're picking top three. And you know, the, the latter bucket is where we land now. All right, before we talk about uh, Pro Bowl snubs, we got to talk about Price Picks being the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS is just you against the numbers. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Or if you're Eli, you do it and then watch one of them screw you and not win, which he's terming these days as a flex play win. But I think we all know that's just dressing up a loss. Anyway, Eli's uh, prize picks entry this week, his slate, Jonathan Taylor to go for more. Than 80 and a half rushing yards. CeeDee Lamb to go for more than 99 and a half receiving yards. And then Josh Allen to go for more than 285 and a half uh, rushing and passing yards. So those two combined. That's Eli Slate. He's, uh, he's putting it on the line. And we're not going to let him get away with claiming it's a flex play. He's going with it all the way. It's all in, all or nothing. And we'll see whether he gets this one or not. Um, you can play alongside Eli or... Some of uh, Price Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find them in the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. You don't find Eli's there, but you find Eli's here on the podcast. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Uh, go to pricepicks.com forward slash PFF NFL and use code PFF NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com forward slash PFF NFL and use code PFF NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Remember, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Brad, Pro Bowl, it's been announced. The people still vote, and that means that the, uh, the team is terrible. So <laughs> there have been several Pro Bowl snubs. Uh, what is the biggest snub to you? Yeah, well, also, I'm going to shoehorn in a rant about the, the, how important the Pro Bowl is to fifth-year options and stuff yeah. like that, too. We'll get that later. Uh, the biggest one for me, I think, is Antoine Winfield. 
Also, this is where my job is funny. Uh, you know, like he probably should be replacing Buda Baker, and I get that's the name he kind of targeted. They share an agent, so I think it's kind of funny that like his dad is going after Buda Baker and like all these things. And it's like, hey, like we're, it's all in the family. Let's relax here. <laughs> but um, to me, it is Anton Winfield. I, I mean, I think he has been just remarkably dynamic in all three facets of football play. Has five sacks on the year, a bunch of pressures when they do bring him, which isn't that often. Um, can play in the deep third, can come down to the box and make plays, can play in the slot, not as much as last year, but more of a deep free safety. But he can do everything, and he has done everything at a super high level. And then just as a run defender, simply just, you know, running the alley and just getting in the muck and coming in and making plays. You know, he's just, he's just, he's been exceptional this year. Um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely one of them. I agree. Winfield's been arguably the best safety in the NFL this year. I would absolutely put him in there. Um, I, one of the guys I think is definitely a snob is Brandon Ayuk. Uh, maybe kind of gets forgotten about in that ridiculous 49ers offense with George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. But Brandon Ayuk has the second highest PFF grade amongst receivers this year. Only Tyreek Hill has a better grade than him. He's averaging over 18 yards per catch. He's got 1,300 yards. Brandon Ayuk has been an absolute monster um, for the 49ers and is completely overlooked apparently. Or like the first eight weeks of the season where every single catch of his was either a first down or a touchdown. <laughs> like he just gets, I think, lost in the shuffle of how good, you know, Trent Williams and George Kittle are both right. on there. I want to say obviously McCaffrey's on there. I don't think Debo made it. So I guess neither. But, you know, it's just like there are so many elite talents on that team. Um, but, yeah, he's no question deserving. One more I'll throw out there. Kind of a. I don't know. Maybe he didn't deserve it this year, but I think it's kind of crazy. Like Trist, Tristan Wirfs to me is kind of a guy who just should make it every single season. And he pivots over to left tackle. Um, and look, it's Trent Williams, Lane Johnson, and Panay Sewell. I get it. Um, but still, an 83 pass block rate at a new position. Um, you know, still top, I think, 10 in pressure rate allowed among tackles. Again, playing on a different side of the line. I, he's just, you know, it, it's remarkable what he's done. I, I, he probably shouldn't care because. He's already made it enough times to juice out his fifth-year option, um, and his extension now is going to be a left tackle deal, I would assume. Uh, it'll reset the market by a comfortable margin. Um, let's go with quarterback. The AFC quarterbacks, Josh Allen is not on this roster. Now, it's actually a tougher argument than you would think it is when you look at the AFC. They've got Tua, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes as the three quarterbacks. Um, I don't think, even though the stats aren't, aren't as good, I don't think the, the Mahomes thing is crazy. Uh, I think he's actually had a way better season than his stats would suggest. But I do think that Josh Allen has been better. And I think in particular, when you factor in that absolute stinker that Mahomes had against Vegas recently, that really dragged his grade down and I think made it a clear victory in Josh Allen's favor as opposed to one that maybe you would err slightly in the Josh Allen direction. Like, I think that game, that was effectively the game that Josh Allen had in week one that finally sort of averaged him out, you know, and Mahomes got dragged way down. So Josh Allen not being on the roster, I think, is is a mistake. I think the timing is interesting, too, of the voting, where, like, the Dallas game, you look back at it and say, oh, they won despite Josh Allen not doing anything. Like, he's had a couple games recently where, you know, the run game has been the focal point. He's been timely with his production, but it hasn't been. We're watching him run around like crazy. I know he has the 15 rushing touchdowns and all those things. And also, you know, everyone's always going to look at the turnovers with him, even though I'm sure his turnover-worthy play rate is down from years past. Um, the funny thing, too, is the way they sort these things where – 
Like all linebackers are sorted by sacks, including off-ball yeah. linebackers. When you go on the website, like they don't even try to make it uh, make the fan voting even remotely, you know, tied to actual production. No, I mean, okay, it, w- it wouldn't be a PFF podcast if we didn't at least address the elephant in the room when we come to discuss Pro Bowls, which is the system is an absolute and total joke. Um, why is it still being folded into contracts as much as it is, given how completely farcical it is? That's the thing that's crazy to me. I mean, this is a new development in the most recent CBA where these fifth-year options for first-round picks uh, are now can get elevated based on Pro Bowls, and it's a massive, massive jump. Um, and there were some guys that got you know a sizable bump. I mentioned Penny Sewell. His fifth-year option now should be about $3.5 million more than it would have been coming into this year, so that's awesome for him. Guys like Pat Sertan, Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase have maxed it out, uh, you know, two Pro Bowls over the first three years is the best you can do. But yeah, I mean, if you're a guy like, you know, in a smaller market and or you're not big into self-promotion or, or whatever the case may be, you're potentially losing out on several million dollars on this fifth year option simply, you know, for, for dumb reasons. I have no clue why the NFLPA would agree to this being a, a mechanism. And even look, I like the playtime escalator. I think it's a very it's smart to have some escalators right. and stuff like that. I get it. But the playtime escalator is also position agnostic which is funny where it's like you know i'm not going to go through the whole the dynamic but an offensive lineman playing 80 percent of snaps is a down year a running back playing 80 percent of snaps in today's nfl is an outlier like there's just so much that's so dumb about it but yeah if i was a player or an agent i'd be pushing back on it i think it's kind of insane um but that's that's where we're at it's also wildly open to manipulation like if you have a team like the system is such a mess that you, if you have a team that is that has a rabid fan base that has a good social media presence, like that team can get a guy on the Pro Bowl essentially just by running a, like a Heisman campaign for that guy, right? Like he can, they can, they can put people on the Pro Bowl simply by uh, mobilizing their fan base, getting them to vote, getting it all in. And okay, you know the vote is only a percentage now as opposed to the whole thing, but it's still very doable. Like you can get a guy in the Pro Bowl by creating a campaign, even if he shouldn't really be there. But that also means if you don't do that, you can you can have a guy not make the Pro Bowl simply by not pushing for it, right? And given that he, he might have a contract bonus attached to that, why would you? Like if you're a team and you have a guy who has a bonus attached to a Pro Bowl, like, hey, how about we not push the pedal to the metal with this guy's Pro Bowl Twitter campaign? Let's just Let's just back off a little bit and see what happens. It is funny. It depends probably on the GM and the building, though. I would tell you most GMs probably think me being able to say I've drafted X players that have made X Pro Bowls is worth infinitely more than I have to pay this guy a couple extra million. But no, I remember the first thing I said when this rule came out, the joke I made was like, I'm a Bears fan. I was like, all right, everybody vote for Jair Alexander for the Pro Bowl. Everybody vote for Rashawn Gary for the Pro Bowl. Like, let's 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 cook the books in Green Bay a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah. It, it, I mean, the fan vote I know is a small percentage, but. It just is. It's just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, all pros always a better list. There are fewer players, yeah. so maybe you include second team. You know, I, I don't know what you do, but I, I mean, again, it doesn't matter until twenty thirty one anyway. But um, but yeah, it's just just another interesting decision by uh, the NFLPA. Absolutely. Um, one other player I want to talk about as being a, a snub, Bernard Ryman, offensive tackle for the Colts. Like really, really good second year, uh, grading well in both facets of the game. Um, His tape is interesting because he's got a lot of like just about hanging on. (laughs) There's a lot of, I don't want to call it ugly tape because it's working. It's just, 
you know, he's right on the ragged edge sometimes, but it, but he's doing it. I, I would have, obviously, Laramie Tunsil deserves to be there, but I think you could make a case for Ryman being there above Deion Dawkins. You could probably make a case for him above Teron Armstead as well, given how much time Teron Armstead misses in any given season and has missed this year. So Ryman, I think, deserves a spot on the Pro Bowl in the AFC, a tackle um, probably in favor of one of those two tackles. Yeah, Armstead, love the guy, legend, but th- this year, you know, re- respectfully probably shouldn't be on there. I'll, I'll throw one more in, too, then. Uh, it's funny. The guy, I don't know if he has any Pro Bowls, maybe one. Um, and he is, I think he might be, if we look back on history of, like, the, the target share and receiving yardage share and just, like, how much they elevated the quarterback they're playing with. I mean, DJ Moore is now playing with the best quarterback he's ever played with. Um, and that's still in an offense where they're going to throw for like 3,500 yards uh, in 2023 in the NFL. If Tyson Bajant doesn't come in and play four games, I think DJ Moore probably makes the Pro Bowl because um, you look at his production. He has, you know, most yards of his career over 1,300. I think he has nine touchdowns. In those four games, he did like did very little, um, which obviously was not his fault. Um, but just tough, just just tough for that guy. You know, he's balling out. He's having fun. He's living in a, in a, in a wonderful city. Um, he takes a jab at Carolina every chance he gets. Uh, so I think he's happy, but but probably deserved a Pro Bowl. Yeah, the NFC wide receiver one is a real gauntlet. That's that's tough because you've got like in that list, you've got C.D. Lamb, who's amazing, definitely deserves to be there. You got Puka Nakua, who's going to probably break the rookie record, put up insane numbers. Um, and then the, the other two guys that you would say, well, those are the two most vulnerable ones are A.J. Brown, who's put up almost 1,500 yards and at times has taken over for the Eagles and been the reason they've won games. And then Mike Evans, who currently leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns and might do that for the first time in his career. So you'd be like, in order to make the case, and we've already done it, that, that uh, Brandon Ayuk deserves to be there, your case is essentially that the guy that's leading the league in touchdown catches shouldn't be a pro bowler from the NFC. Like, he's not one of the four best receivers in his own conference, which I think is probably true, but is not the easiest argument to make. And, and in all the ways where, you know, the public sometimes gets it wrong, this is a pretty understandable one. Yeah, no, there's always context, too, though. I mean, Baker's been good, but the, the Bucks lead the NFL in run-run-pass drives. They they obviously, you know, again, Baker's been good, but it's not like he's playing with Patrick Mahomes out there. So, yeah, hard to take Mike Evans off. That, that is the thing. It's more, I think, uh, when I say snub, there are the position like allocations are also kind of crazy for how many guys per position make it on there. Um, maybe there should be more than three receivers <laughs> for each team. We didn't even mention, I missed half the year, but we didn't even mentioned Justin Jefferson uh, or some other guys that probably should be perennial Pro Bowlers as well. All right. So as of uh, every other year, the Pro Bowl is a mess. Um, there are many snubs, there are many bad picks, and instead, as Brad said, you should wait for the All-Pro team, which has me as a voter and is therefore correct. Now, look, I can't be held responsible if other people pick wrong, but my, my vote will be, my ballot will be flawless, I would imagine. Um, and, of course, as we've already discovered, Steve is busy offering consultancy service for several other All-Pro voters as well. So you have multiple picks being, you know, in some way influenced by PFF data and by the correct interpretation of things. Um, Brad, it's been a pleasure, good sir. Uh, we will talk again next week, I would imagine. And now we can uh, kick it right over to Vic for the Boo Boo Breakdown. All right, back in 2024, the new year, we are the Boo Boo Breakdown, which means our guy Vic Troja is in the building to talk through some injuries. Uh, good holiday, Vic. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. You too. Absolutely. Um, all right, one question I wanted to ask you that we had come in um, before we get to the, the sort of basic injuries. Um, 
we had somebody ask about Trevor Lawrence and concussions. Mm -hmm. And Trevor Lawrence became one of those few players that kind of cleared the concussion protocol within a week and was out there the next game. And somebody was effectively asking, you know, what does that mean when you clear the, the concussion protocol, you're cleared to play, can it still have like lingering effects? Because he was bad the next game, right? So right. is that a concussion thing or is that just coincidence? Can clearing the concussion protocol just make you medically clear to go out there, but you are still experiencing some kind of lingering effect from the concussion that can impact your performance in that game and going forward? The only thing that would actually, from the concussion standpoint, affect that, that can't be tested neurologically, would be in the sense of like your timing, reaction, uh, cognitive thinking through things. But like in order for him to be cleared to play, he not only has to go through the final stage of protocol, which is symptom-free, full practice, like going through drills, going through activity, um, and he has to be cleared from an independent neurologist not associated with the team. Those two things have to check out to where you're saying you don't have symptoms to light, you don't have headaches, you don't have nauseousness or dizziness. All of those things can be cleared. You really can't test a ton on like, okay, what's your reaction time? We need like a pre and, pre and post concussion S2 test to, to get some kind of idea. Yeah. Assuming and I mean, those the, are static, you know, one, one game, one test to the next. Right. Like the thing that you see though, is like they do test for cognitive and memory loss and cognitive right. dysfunction, but like at a point where somebody's able to actually run through a practice, well, that's not really a concern of theirs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it can have an impact in that way. The other thing is that you just can't even put a number on is like, well, what did it do to have him sit out of practice going through the protocol versus sure. um, getting in pra a full week of practice? So there is kind of a, a gray area there where you can't really understand. Um, so this one happened during the time we were away. TJ Hawkinson had a bad knee injury yeah. and had the kind of injury where I had been kind of thinking for a while, you know, God, all these tight ends doing the hurdle thing, it's never working. Like, what? why are we doing this? And that's the injury why, right? Because yep. every single shot that a tight end takes over the middle now is at the knees. Yeah. And that's where they're going. These guys come in and they just try and take down a 250-pound guy because they can't body him up. They can't, you know, try and take him on up high. Right. So they go for the knees. And Hawkinson was one of the few tight ends this year that I haven't seen try and hurdle the tackle. Mm -hmm and paid for it with his knee. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was one of those where you probably looked at and said, this is bound to happen, right? Uh, you you can't go at a player high really anymore, especially across the middle. Like it's, it's bound to get a flag. Uh, when he got hit, you knew instantly that there was some severe damage there. So he has his ACL and MCL. Um, so there's kind of some concern there. Uh, generally speaking, like the rule of thumb is ACL nine month timeline, right? Well, that's timeline from surgery, not from injury. So he still hasn't had surgery yet because of all of the swelling that's associated with his knee. They want to give it a week, two, maybe even three weeks to get down. And then when you have an MCL associated with an ACL tear, when that repair comes, it delays it. And the reason is because you can't be as aggressive with range of motion on the knee and you can't be aggressive with load bearing on the knee when the MCL is involved. So we're looking at like nine months plus for him. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like week five next year, week six that he gets back. It's just unfortunate timing. Right, because we're so late in the season. Exactly. When yep. you, um, particularly for a big guy like him, I'm, I'm assuming that doesn't help, but when you have ACL, MCL injury and you've got to wait two weeks, three weeks before surgery, what are you, how are you getting, a, what, are you, what sort of, what 
state is he in right now? Is he on one of those kind of knee scooter things? Is he in cru- on crutches? Is he in a, in a chair? Like what, what is he dealing with? So he's likely in crutches and has one of those massive braces that you'll see like, like full air cast, yeah, like clamps, like up and down the, between his shin and upper thigh, basically immobilizing him in any r- range of bending and side to side movement. And then he'll be like on crutches and he'll just be able to put pressure on his other leg. And like no weight on the the bad one. Yeah, they don't want him to weight bear at all right now. For and three weeks. He's also doing things therapeutically to get that swelling down to try to expedite this process because sooner surgery means right. sooner return. Yeah. Um, Devonte Smith mm-hmm. uh, is now dealing with an ankle injury, which doesn't sound like it's going to be keeping him out in any uh, extended period of time. What? And it was termed, I think, it was one of those the mild ankle injury. Yeah. Um, and not considered a high ankle. Yeah. Well, I actually kind of wanted to. Uh, give an example of when you're a wide receiver and you're blocking, this is why it's so important to win your block. I mean, take away Pickens' excuse to not block (laughs) at all. But like, this is why it's so important is because if you're losing a block at a wide receiver, you're getting pushed back, your feet are planted. So that means if somebody comes into you, your foot is planted, you're gonna get rolled up on and more likely suffer an injury. But if you are winning your block at a wide receiver, you are shuffling your feet, your feet are lifting off more and there's less likely that you're gonna get rolled up or get on a planted foot, have somebody land on that. So what he had is that during that screen pass is he had his foot rolled up on, gets an ankle sprain, he might play, might not play. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits out and is completely confirmed as out, but um, uh, is he didn't practice Wednesday. He's likely actually out for this week, but it, it, who knows what's gonna happen, so. I also wonder if that's an area where, you know, there was, there's always this fear of small receivers because they're gonna get injured more often, and we tend to think of that as, well, they're gonna get hit, and when they weigh 160 pounds, they're gonna break because mm-hmm. they're 40 pounds lo- lighter than the guy hitting them. But, you know, with Devontae Smith getting rolled up on, with Tank Dell getting rolled up on at the right. goal line, like, I wonder if actually the area, if there is one, where a smaller wide receiver is going to be more vulnerable to injuries, it's that. It's you're going to be losing physical encounters when it comes to blocking, not actually getting hit. And you're going to get driven into weird piles, and that's where the injuries happen. Yeah, you see that a lot. And even where if they come down with a high contact catch, right? And, you know, a bigger wide receiver that's going up for a jump ball or something across the middle is probably less likely to get injured from a big contact compared to like somebody like Tank Dell who's running a crossing route and gets blindsided. It just, it is what it is. It's their size, it's their capability to withstand some of those collisions. Um, Christian McCaffrey, Mm -hmm. now he, they've termed it a calf injury. It was a weird one at the time because they kind of had the, he wasn't wearing socks from what I could tell. It was like the tights is now how they're getting around the socks thing. Like let's wear tights and pretend it's a sock. Yeah. Anyway, they're, they're like rolled up the whole leg. So the whole leg lower south of the knee was exposed and they were kind of working on everything, but then they taped up his ankle Mm -hmm. um, when he was trying to kind of give it a go and go back out there. So what is he actually dealing with and how much of a problem is it? So they haven't really came out with a level of a calf strain that he's dealing with, but you know, he's at a low grade level. The fact that they was willing to be able to almost, you know, fight through it they are so blessed right now with their position because if he had to go out there this week and play the chance of recurrence of injury is really high for a calf calf and hamstrings being the two soft tissues of the lower extremity that you see the highest injury recurrence from if somebody returns too soon 
So not only is he going to have this week off, but he's probably going to end up with a buy, right? So yeah. he's going to have a buy and this week, um, he's going to be able to recover pretty fully from a low level calf strain. They're going to test it next week and really put him through some agility stuff. But this week now is no, there's no reason for them to even force it. Why would they have been taping his ankle um, if it's a calf injury? So when you tape your ankle, it also limits your ability to push down through your toe and contract your calf and then to flex your foot up and stretch your calf. So it not only like when you see people that tape their ankle, they think it's just taping for like lateral stability, right. like an ankle sprain. Well, it also limits the motion on the other sides. So, so it like forces you to be like 60% pressure on your calf just by limiting the range of motion yeah. and impact you can put on it. Exactly. You're okay. going to drive through your upper thigh a lot more than you're going to do your calf. All right. Um, Bradley Chubb was yeah. one that came out of the last game, deep in the game, mm -hmm. beat down against Baltimore. The, the Miami Dolphins lose another edge rusher yes. to a, a season. I mean, season ending, it's a week, but long-term injury yep. with, an AC, uh, with an ACL injury for Bradley Chubb. Um, any reason to think that that's anything beyond the most routine of ACL injuries these days? Not after watching the video. I think it's it definitely is like going to be that standard ACL, given that it's later in the year is unfortunate for Chubb. Right. Um, you know, and especially seeing how much they had to rely on him. Like, I don't think of Bradley Chubb as like an elite top 10 pass rusher, but given that Phillips was already out and they had to transition to like relying on him more and losing him is really detrimental to the team. And they are actually fortunate that it wasn't more of a severe injury for his knee. He's gonna probably be put on that nine month timeline. Um, and you're not gonna expect him back week one next year unless he's, you know, gets a miraculous recovery. Um, and then Alvin Kamara is the last guy mm -hmm. he wanted to talk about. Yeah, so Kamara had another ankle. Um, I don't expect Kamara to play this week either. And that's kind of tough because this is that time of year where you're gonna see guys like try to push through it. Um, right, the Saints, but, I mean, they need they need to win if they have any shot of making the postseason. Right. So he's a DNP with his right ankle sprain. And I mean, they're doing everything they can to get him on the field. But if it's that bad where he's he's still not practicing come Wednesday and Thursday, like we just saw, I don't see him playing. Uh, they're going to obviously try to get him out there and, and move it a little bit and test it out. But uh, it looks like they're going to rely on Jamal Williams more than they are going to be with Kamara. All right, that'll do it for this week's Boo Boo Breakdown, the last of the regular season. Uh, myself and Steve will be back on Monday reviewing the last regular season week of action as well. So thanks uh, for listening, and we will talk to you all then.